Kanon. Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Stoned Apes Podcast. And oh my God, are we excited today? We have Father Mark. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, thanks. Oh man, this is a highly anticipated episode. Uh, our viewers absolutely love you. Are you surprised by that? Uh, just a little, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit? You know you are our highest viewed episode. <laughs> Yeah, I think I told you that earlier, but man, uh, people really loved uh, what you had to say on the last podcast, and uh, we decided that we would do another round with you, and this time we we're going to grill you. Good. You ready? I'm okay, ready. we're going to go. We're going to get this one deep and hard. <clears throat> All right. So, how you guys doing? It's been a minute. That's we good. haven't really seen each other for like the last week, have we? Two, because you were gone. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Where would? Where did I go? You get the new whip. Sex change. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, that's, a, that's a conversation for another podcast. Dun, dun, dun. So, you guys been doing good? Mm -hmm. yep. How you been, Father Mark? I've been really good. Life been treating you well? well? Very good, yes. Yeah? So, you're getting ready to retire, aren't you? In about three weeks, yes. Now, you're the Pope, right? Uh, just one step below. One step below? One step below. How does that work, by the way? Like, uh, how do you become Pope? Uh, that's a good question. Do you I don't, for I, it? I don't think I'd want to find out. You don't want to find out. <laughs> so how high up are you? Like, I don't understand how the structure works. Like, are you like a regional DM or are you like higher than that? No, it's it's probably like a corporal. Like a corporal? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I can accept that. Which branch? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Marine corporal or an army That corporal? matters. <laughs> <laughs> what you're responsible for. Oh, man. So you've enjoyed it, though, right? Oh, yeah, very much so. 43 years. 43 years. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. That's really incredible. Yeah, we really enjoyed coming up to the, what is it, the rectory? The rectory, right? that's right. Now, do we call it a church? Yeah. Okay, I didn't yeah. know if it was called something different. No, so. no, it's called a church. Okay, great. Yeah, that was a beautiful grounds, and you have a really nice area up there. It was, it was really impressive. Thank you. We didn't see any ghosts, though. You told us it was haunted. It is, yes. It is very haunted. Do you want to tell? Okay, tell us the stories. Come tell on. us the stories. Tell us the stories. What's going on with the haunting <clears throat> at the church? Yeah, I'm trying to think of, did, did I give an example of? Yeah, you did. You did said you? the delivery guy, you had somebody behind That's you. That's right. Yeah. You told us that story. Yeah, he, he's the one who frequents the most the... Uh, Soldiers, Confederate soldiers, actually are all over that area of, around the Merrimack Valley. People call all the time saying they either see stuff or have witnessed things. And I'm not sure exactly why that is, other than there were probably a lot of battles that were, took place there. Uh, okay. Union, Missouri is actually where the Union camp used to be. And so, um, oh, you know that. yeah, there are, there are a lot of tragic things that took place. Is that why it's named Union? I was saying, yes, I always wondered why, why they called it Union. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> well, the, the Confederate soldiers were, were coming up from um, <coughs> New Orleans, and the plan was is to overtake St. Louis because if they had the west westernmost quadrant, um, that would be to their advantage. But in the process, they ended up losing, and the soldiers who were coming, when they were on Confederate farmland it wasn't a problem but when they switched over on union farmland a lot of times they got shot in the back so they had no idea they were getting killed so oh, wow. a lot of the people who end up seeing people it's those soldiers who died suddenly had no idea they were being shot okay so what's your explanation for that what's your spiritual stance on how this happens yeah what is how, where do ghosts fit in with your religious beliefs that was my question 
Yeah, I, I don't know if it necessarily has to do with religious <laughs> beliefs. It just has to do with the way that God put us together with spirit and flesh. And so when the flesh ends up dying suddenly, sometimes the spirit doesn't realize that that's taken place. And I, so it just gets kind of trapped or lost? or Yeah, so a, a good example, one time I was going to, um, I forgot which hospital it was, St. Clair, uh, off of 44, driving by uh, Six Flags, right there at the Six Flags exit. Saturday morning, wasn't much traffic at all. And um, so the the westbound traffic was almost completely stopped. Now, on a Saturday morning, that's not too unusual, but like no cars were passing. And I happened to look ahead around the exit, and I noticed four kids running across the road. And I thought, they're going to they're gonna get killed. Somebody jumped out of a car and decided they were going to go the other side. It wasn't until later on that I found out that those four kids actually had been killed. Uh, they had been rear-ended by a truck and didn't know, obviously, that they were dead. And so they were actually looking around, trying to figure out how to, like, what, what do you do? You know, for a while, you have this sense that you're still in the body, but then when you see your body disconnected from the spirit, there's a lot of confusion that happens. So what is it that keeps, okay, so the soul that does figure it out, do yes. they move on at that point? It, it depends on the state of their soul. So it, it, like an umbilical cord attaches to the mom as well as the kid, we're, we're, we were tethered to, to the, in the spirit to the Almighty. And sometimes people are aware of that, sometimes they're not. If they are aware of that, a lot of times they go through that transition really fast and they begin what we would call the ascension process. Um, but if they're not, they end up getting stuck. And the, the natural response would be like to try to connect to the people that you see. You know, like I've had people say they were in an accident, they see themselves outside of their body looking down at the accident, watching the paramedics, going through all that, trying to talk to the people around them, but there's, there's, there's not that physical contact anymore. But there is a spiritual awareness. So for some reason, people get stuck. Um, a lot of it probably has to do with their, their spiritual awareness, their beliefs, their belief system. Um, it could be any number of different things. Do you think there's a choice? Yes, there is a choice for sure. After. Interesting. Yeah, the, the, I think the determining factor there is fear. If you're not fearful, just like you guys were talking about martial arts, if you have you know, the self-awareness, you're not overcome by the person who's in front of you that could be killing you, but you're functioning at a very high level because you see what's coming. And so you're acting out of, out of intelligence, but not yeah, out of fear. fear. Right. When people die, they don't often act out of intelligence. They act out of fear. Okay. That's interesting. You think it's a fear that once you're dead, the realization that you still have consciousness? It depends on the level of consciousness that the person has. Some people have a very high level of consciousness. They're able to see beyond just the 3D world, and they're not frightened by it. Mm -hmm. So just like you know, walking into a dark basement, if you've been in that basement before— you kind of have an idea, okay, the table's there, the couch is there, mm -hmm. and you can kind of navigate. If it's something completely new, it's, it could freak you out. So a lot of it depends so, on, on, on the person's state of awareness and their perception. And I, I mean, that can correlate between like how they are functioning physically through their life before oh, death. Absolutely. And, 
they carry that on to their spiritual world. Yeah, so you, you read the lives of the saints, like if you've ever read the scriptures in Acts of the Apostles, Stephen was being stoned as he was being stoned. And I'm talking about doing drugs. He was physically being, being stoned. stoned. Yeah. Hit with rocks. <laughs> yeah. So the, the I'm script- a different kind of stone. That's fine. <laughs> so when the heavens opened up, so the portal opened up to the other side so that he could see heaven, he had already been familiar in the spirit with the things on the other side. He was seeing himself being killed, and he was also forgiving at that same time the people that were doing to him mm-hmm. what he recognized what it was. So he not only forgave them, but he was ready to cross over. And not everybody's ready to do that. Depends on how attached you are to the things here. So That's interesting. Do you think it's like a purgatory? It's definitely a purgatory. Okay. Okay. Well, then I have two questions. And then uh, my first one would be, what is it about yourself that gives you the ability to see dead people? Because <laughs> yeah. that's not something that everybody's got. At least I don't think we have. Um, actually, everybody has the potential to look to the other side. They just have to develop that potential. Um, and I, I think we talked about it a little bit last time. Yeah. It, it runs in families. So certain families are, are disposed. If, if you believe that everything's recorded in the DNA, the DNA carries that data and the soul is able to interpret it. Like some kids are very advanced at at a very young age to see the other side because they're just gifted with a lot, most times on the maternal and paternal side. Okay, interesting. And most kids, you don't have to explain that kind of stuff to them. They're already seeing it. Mm -hmm. But because of the world that we live in, they're taught not to use and to trust those kind of senses. Okay, so so my next one involves a story and then a question. So I had an experience younger in life, like most people did. I was a big partier, right? You know, all these young kids out there that are partying. And one night I had taken it to an extreme, and uh, I was sitting on this couch. And then I remember very clearly at one point I, rem- I was no longer, I didn't feel like I was in my body, and I was watching myself sitting on the couch. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I'm asleep. And then I was like, oh, wait. And then I was like, I just died. And then I freaked out. And then I woke up and I was instantly sober. Mm-hmm. Now, I have debated upon this over the years because I don't know if it's because I was extremely intoxicated and it was the combination of the drugs and alcohol that I was on at the time. And I just pictured this in my head. Or if this is something that actually really happened. What, what would be your take on that? I think leaving the body is something that happens to everybody. You just have to recognize what that is. Most times it happens when you're asleep because those, those, those barriers that keep us from authenticating that when we're in the 3D world um, are gone and you're just there. And it's just the experience. You're not, you're not quantifying or you're not evaluating. You're just letting it be. So like you said, you got out of your body. You saw like, oh, gosh, there I am. So if, if that has happened before, which for myself, it's happened a lot, especially in dreams, it's sort of like flight school. You know, you have to learn how to taxi and take off and come back. And it's So it's, what's happened in your body when you leave? Like, nothing. Your, you're still tethered. Put so it that, on a shelf. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know if this will help, but I actually read a book that explained this. My dad, well, so... Of course he did. Well, my dad was a youth minister at our church when we lived in Texas, and uh, he read a book. It was written by a Christian doctor by the name of Rebecca Brown. I don't know if you've heard of her. No. She basically 
the name of the book is He Came to Set the Captives Free. And essentially she went, um, she helped get a witch out of a satanic coven. Hmm. And she succeeded, and there's a lot that happens in the book. But the way they explained um, possession and some of the magic you see in these things is essentially that the deal they were making with the demonic entity, because they talked about astral projection and even Mm -hmm. levitation and stuff, and essentially Mm -hmm. it was just a demon actively letting that person control their spirit body to so if you saw this table lift up what you wouldn't see was a demon actively controlling that teller and Mm -hmm. letting me use my spirit body to pick it up Mm -hmm. or you know on the astral projection like everybody i remember my my father when he was in the navy called my mom one day because he had a very vivid dream that she got in a car wreck on a covered bridge hitting a patch of black ice it happened like when he called her the next day worried he's like i had this really crazy dream and she's like yeah i just got home from the ER. Wow. It happened. Um, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are on that relationship. It's an interesting book. You should check it out. But um, it made me wonder if even in the Bible, if, you know, they talk about the Lord, you know, through faith you can move mountains and some of the, like parting the Red Sea and some of those other things that happened divinely, how much of that was maybe that spiritual body being able to be used, but it was an mm-hmm. angelic force, not a demonic force, allowing for some of that. I guess maybe the the best way to start is if you could imagine your spirit having two plugs into the darkness and into the light, depends on what you get plugged into. Most people feel more comfortable for whatever reason kind of going to the dark side, but that's where that manipulation comes in and you don't know who's driving the bus. When, When it's things of the spirit and it's connected to things of light and you're surrendering to it, then... You're actively moving through all of those experiences, but you have a co-pilot that's kind of helping you along so that it's, it's not like you're venturing off on yourself. Just like, you know, when, when you eventually get your pilot's license, you're always practicing with somebody and there's always somebody there and then eventually you go up by yourself. So some of those things, like John, when John saw into the future to the present age, 2,000 years into the future, which is what I believe that we're experiencing now, he was able to to move forward on the time continuum to see what was happening, view it, and then come back and then write it down. So those are things that he didn't initiate himself. It's something he was taught to do and something he was invited to by God himself. So the danger of, of kind of like experimenting with all that stuff yourself is you, you don't know who your co-pilot is. You don't know who's you know mm-hmm. doing the driving, and that's where you can get yourself in trouble. It doesn't mean that the, 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 the experience is any less valid, any less real. It's just you have to be careful of who you let drive the bus. Now, what do you, like, or say even if you believe that it, it works, like DMT or ayahuasca or, yeah, like, right, um, psychedelics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you believe that, one, can it help you enter into those, I like, we say interdimensional or spiritual or light or the next realm, whatever you want to, however you want to call it, or I give you contact. Like, can do you believe one can they be used as a tool? And then going with what you're saying, like, how should you use that as a tool? Should to help guide you or bring you into those things? Because again, you don't know who's your co-pilot, 
in that way. So, so if you're thinking of it in terms of like an anesthesia, mm-hmm. so so it does free the body up. Obviously, the inhibitions are not there. Mm-hmm. The, the the cultural moral rays and the different things that kind of control us and keep us, you know, in first lane, second lane, third lane, they're not there. So it can do that. It just depends on who's on the other side. Right. You know, and if you don't know like who's on the other side. What doors are opening. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like a blind date. She could be mm-hmm. ugly or she could be beautiful. Right. Um, where was my question going? You, so like DMT is a proven thing that our bodies naturally produce. You know, it's the dream chemical. It's what helps, you know, our body chemically make us a dream. It's the same thing that is in ayahuasca and all that, like, because it is of us, is it? So it's more that, homeopathic. Like, well, not necessarily homeopathic. <laughs> like it's like we do. It's in line with what we already have in us. We're not. It's not something foreign. It's we're just amplifying the, you know, dosage. I guess. And the burning bush produced DMT. I have oh, no idea. They, I am, they talked about that on a Jerry. I wasn't. Actually. I didn't eat that bush, but. <laughs> I like the the DMT is like of us. Could that not necessarily mean that it's could be negative? Right. I, I don't think it's necessarily negative or positive. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the motivation and the intent. intent. Intention yeah. is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know if that answers the question. But. No, I like I hear that. You know, where, where your intention is behind what you're doing. Well, we talk about that all the time, how important it is to set intentions, right? With any type of drug that has the ability to alter your physical mind, then your intentions become incredibly important. And that also is what allows it to be so effective at, you know, correcting things like we talked about before, whether it be mental triggers or blocks or things like that, because you can really grow and change neural pathways, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, intention becomes... That not that the driving force be thing, all things that we consider good or evil? Right. I mean, but I feel like you should put intention into all things you do. Like if I go into the gym, I'm intentionally going to work this or I'm intentionally going to do that. Or when I go into a conversation, I'm going to intentionally try to leave that conversation better, you know. Um, so I think, you know, the answer is what intention are you going to have? But yeah, I think intention is important because it's connected to free will. And free will is essential um, because your free will is sort of like the like the the guard that keeps evil from entering in because you have that authority. It's like a revolving door on a hotel. You know, you can either be on the outside or the inside, and you either let somebody in or you don't let someone in. So having your faculties and having uh, your ability to give intention and consent is really important. Right. So uh, on ayahuasca and DMT. Um, there's a huge amount of research that's currently being conducted to rehabilitate people with post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. Uh, And I have both. And I've listened to... I have yet to hear of anyone who has undergone those therapies who's had a bad experience and not had a huge net positive. Mm -hmm. And I'm almost wondering if we're just not in a way rediscovering what other cultures did anyway. If you read Mm -hmm. about Native American Mm -hmm. cultures, when the men would come back from war, Mm -hmm. that's when they would have the sweat lodges with Mm -hmm. peyote and things like that. But it was very, that intention was set. And I think veterans, if they are seeking help, maybe it is that setting that intention with the attempt to heal that's allowing that to be a 
an assisting mm-hmm. device, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, doctors will tell you that the individual comes in with a positive attitude, even if they're seriously sick, and even allowing the the good intentions or we call it prayer or whatever you want to call it, positive energy coming from another person, that facilitates the healing process exponentially. Um, if, if patients come in and they're angry, they're unforgiving, <clears throat> they have a really negative um, attitude, their ability to heal their physical bodies is diminished um, comparatively. Yeah, like the placebo effect, sort say. of, but mm-hmm. the other way, mm-hmm. kind of. I don't even know that I like calling it a placebo effect. I think it's just that we don't... Faith? Fa- yeah, it is faith, but the it can go either way, positive or negative mm-hmm. faith. You know, we've talked about blind studies they've done and the placebo effect. Of, I remember you were talking about something recently. I don't remember what it was, but you were talking about the placebo effect of something um, and just the power of the mind. And some of me wonders, like, what don't we know? You know, is any of that frequency-based or, you know, because I've been reading some stuff about that just because I think it's interesting. But are you changing, altering your frequency in a way that it's healing you? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I believe if there's a criticism and as a minister in an organized religion, I think I have the right to say this. If, if, there is, if there's a major criticism that I have of all institutional religions is that they've really failed people um, in teaching them how to become free as Jesus intended instead of being controlled. Mm-hmm. And we've moved way more on the control side than we have the freedom side. So a lot of those things that might have been taught, for example, in monasteries and in convents and in places of learning in the past, have, it seems like it's diminished um, with the passing of time. So we've, we've taught less about how to free the soul, more about how to control the person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, if there's a major criticism I would have of all institutional religions and all institutions, it's mm-hmm. more about control rather than teaching right. people how to enter into all those good things that we've been talking about. I think it's fair to say you can't blame said, like, not religion as the whole, but the faith in what it is, but the man behind, mm-hmm. you know. I see most religion or faiths, faiths usually have a positive, good, treat others how you want to be treated mm-hmm kind of message which i've always agreed with you know the message in the book says be nice do all that you do be done in love and but man behind it is our you know is our fault Mm -hmm. rather than the faith you know making it an institution so father mark what would you say would be the first step in somebody wanting to embrace freedom versus control like and, and i think i understand what you were saying not just control from the from the religion side but you know the religion teaches to control the body right to control yourself and and so i felt that a little bit so for the individual who's trying to control themselves all the time what would be their first step to spiritual freedom i think a big part of it <clears throat> is what we call control of the senses say of the five senses and learning what each sense on the physical plane was designed for, for example, seeing. I, I've been watching these videos of people who were, I forgot what the, they're called, Kodachrome glasses, I think, that allow a person who is colorblind to see things in color. 
And and the first reaction when they put these things on is like, oh my gosh, th- this is what you guys see every day. You, and and for the first time they've seen red, red, or a real true green or a purple, which is a color that doesn't often, you know, come up. And so if if that's true on a physical plane, that we have such a broad expanse of being able to take in information with sight, same thing with smell, with touch, with hearing, there, there are corresponding faculties that are in the soul. So you have, each of us here at this table have two sets of eyes. We have physical eyes and we have spiritual eyes. We have a physical voice and we have a spiritual voice. We have the ability to hear things physically. We also have the ability to hear things spiritually. The, the teachers that help us transition from the physical senses to the spiritual senses are not, not easily found. It's hard to find people to teach you how to do those kind of things. I, for example, when I was a little kid and I, w- I would talk to my mom about <clears throat> these people who were coming in the room and I didn't know who they were and v- various images of, of scary things uh, as a little kid, you know, something dark comes toward you and they stink and they smell or they're, there's, they're uttering sounds that, you know, are not happy sounds. Like who teaches a person how to distinguish, distinguish and have discernment as to what actually is on a positive frequency and what's on a negative frequency? Don't you think some of that's innate? Some of it is innate, but a lot of it's suppressed. And how- Certainly, but I, I, the it's like the nature versus nurture argument kind of. Yeah. Um. Depends on your radar. I was I was at at a, a ice cream place yesterday. <clears throat> and I think I have a pretty good radar. Um, I'm able to see things in a person before they actually make themselves known. And there was a guy who came behind me, a really positive vibe, really kind person, very gentle spirit, didn't have to say a word. And I turned around and he asked me something. I asked him something back. W- within about 60 seconds, we were talking about God. Okay, so how is that? that there are some people who would be totally put off by somebody standing to get some ice cream talking about God. And here's this person relating to me, obviously had that same awareness level that, you know, there's something of the spirit here where within 60 seconds we're talking about God and his grace and what a beautiful day it is and, you know, and and leaving and saying, hey, God bless you. You know, that doesn't happen that often. And some of that is because we're not taught how to use those senses not only to help discern what's within us, but to discern what's around us. I, I always had that radar as a kid. I could be around people and know that they were bad, and I would tell that to my mom, and she would say, hey, you don't have to know that they're bad. You just walk away. You just walk away. One time I was in Manhattan. My sister was at that time living in Soho, which is on the south side of Manhattan. And I remember I decided I was going to get off the subway and just walk on the street, and I didn't know anything about drug dealers. I didn't know it because I was, you know, a kid from the city, uh, from the county, living in the suburbs. But I remember I, I was going to take a shortcut through this this uh, plot of land where a building had been torn down. <clears throat> there were three guys who were talking to each other. As soon as I saw them, it's like I don't think I want to go that way. <laughs> I really don't think I want to go that way. And I remember stopping. The moment I stopped, they looked at me like, "Get your butt out of here now." And they didn't have to say anything. And I turned around and I went the other way. 
Whatever they were doing, I knew it was nefarious, but that, that was a spiritual protection for me. If I would have just walked in on that, who knows what they were doing. Maybe they were, you know, the feds, or maybe they were, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just knew that if I kept walking that way, it was going to be bad news. So I turned around and walked the other way. No, I've had that keep me alive. Oh, absolutely. Numerous times, like down you to. Trust your gut. Hey, we're, well, almost the point, like, hey, put Sam up front because he can break an ambush before it happens. Or like, hey, we're about to get blown up or we're getting blown up today. And I just know, and I also know guys who've literally come out and told people bye before a mission because they're like, dude, I'm going to die today. I'm not coming back from this one. Everybody's like, ah, no, it's whatever. And they didn't. Hmm. Just They just knew. Well, I want to circle back to something you said earlier because you've mentioned this several times and you mentioned negative frequency. Negative frequency, I would imagine you would define as evil, correct? Uh, I don't know that I'd say it was good or evil. It just is. So what is your definition of evil? Uh, can I name a political candidate? <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want. No, so. I, I don't want that edited. <laughs> I, I don't want it edited, so I won't say it. Um, <laughs> oh, we would air that. Don't you worry. Oh, I, I, I have no, no political ties no here. I, no love. None. I, th- I think what we were saying before is intentionality is a big part of it. So intentionality allows you to um, to enter into a, an arena where you, you're not passive, but you're active. So there's something very active in that process. I, I think some of it is totally objective. So... There are some things that are innately evil that every time it happens, no matter how many times it happens, the result is always going to be something very negative and very bad. Um, so the purpose of, of me saying that is, is that it, it's, it's, a, it's, a whole, um, it's a whole variety of things. Some of it has to do with the person perceiving the good or the evil and their ability to discern but there are some objectives, so that's subjective. There's also something that's objective, and that something in and of itself, in the end, will always end up in a dark place with dark energy, no matter what it is. Okay. So you what know, is the dark energy, then? Is this the dark, demons? Yes, it would be. And, and how would you, what are demons? Um, again, I could name political candidates, but I won't do that. Fallen <laughs> angels. <laughs> So before man was created, before Adam and Eve were created, um, the actual race of beings that God created what, what we would label as angelic. And in Catholic teaching, there are nine levels of the angelic, going from you know the four-star general down to the buck private. The buck privates are the ones that are around us right now. There's six people in this room. There's six guardian angels constantly watching over us, like CIA agents, in 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 the in the kind of wilderness in the background, constantly watching over us to the ones that are up on the thrones before God, that behold God as He is, and those would be the cherubim and seraphim. So, those angelic beings, even before Adam and Eve were created, had free will just like we do, and so in an instant they were able to either discern to remain in those high frequencies and the grace and God's love, whatever you want to call it, or they could follow the one person who decided to defect, and we give that person or that entity's name Lucifer because he was a light bearer. Lucifer was the first created. He was the one who was at the top. He was the one who saw how all of creation was being created. And 
at some point, just like we're tested, <clears throat> the angels were also tested. And Lucifer, for whatever reason, decided to move apart from plan A, which was God's plan, and go to plan B. And I think we talked a little bit about that last time, that in that moment of moving from the perfection, the highest of all energies, the graces, whatever you want to call it, he created this void in moving out of that, and that's what we call hell. That's what we call darkness. That's what we call eternal damnation. That's what we call a lot of those things. And there are beings, uh, the scriptures tell us there are a third of those beings who sided with Lucifer and decided just as those ranks went up from Buck Private to Forrestal General right around God's throne to those that descended into the eternal darkness. And okay. That's what I'm talking about. So what happens when someone becomes demon-possessed? Uh, it involves two things, intentionality and free will. So a person intentionally decides that what they want to get plugged into is the darkness, the evil, the sin, negative energy, whatever label you want to give to it. And the consent is always to continually move in that arena. So how does it happen to children? So it happens to children because their children, their children, their parents, when the children are within the womb, consecrate their children to Lucifer and to the demonic. So every, every one of these instances you hear about with the children, that parent freely gave their child. Yes. Consciously. Yes, consciously, free will, be for, in exchange for something else. And usually it's something in the temporal order. Is that this something that's authority. documented? Like, how, how do you know that information? Well, because you, if you know exorcists, they will explain the process. Do you know exorcists? I do, yes. Have you done an exorcism? I have not. I would not do that. Have you, have you been in the room? Have you witnessed one? I have been in the All room. All right, let's hear the story. Yeah. It, so I, I didn't have my depends on at the time. I should have. But literally, when the demonic manifests, the, the demons do not want to manifest because once they do... Anybody, even even if they would consider themselves evil or in the darkness, their first reaction is, "I need to get out of here. This is this is this is not good. This is absolutely not good." The same kind of sense that you're talking about when you're fighting the demons on on the battlefield, because you're not just fighting physical entities. You're, you're there's a war of principalities, fallen principalities, and demons mm -hmm. that you're encountering. Um, once they manifest, you want to, yeah, you want to get the heck out of there. Unless you understand the process of how to engage, just like you're talking about martial arts. You know, if somebody comes up to me and, you know, puts me in a, a, a stronghold, I wouldn't know how to get out of that. If that happened to you, you'd know instantly what so to So explain the manifest. Like, you're in the room. Like, I want to hear well, I wanna, the, like, I wanna, I wanna know a story see? from, you got the phone call. Hey, Father Mark, yeah. I got, you got, we got to go fight a demon today. Like, you, like, I want the well, story. Were you the old priest or the, the young story. priest? Like, <laughs> what did you experience? I, I, you're sitting there. I, I, I was a baby priest at the time. I was the young priest. I, actually, I, it, it wasn't anything where I received a phone call. I was actually in a conference talking about heaven, hell, and purgatory. And it was, um, it was in Michigan. There were about 700 people in the audience. <clears throat> Before we actually started, this woman came forward and she said, "Hey, Father, you know, would you would you mind blessing my son?" It's like, well, you know, I'm kind of getting ready for this talk, but sure, bring your son over. I'll bless him. So I did bless him. Didn't see anything extraordinarily different about the individual, other than you know he, he kind of looked sheepish or like maybe he didn't want to be there. His mom drug him there. 
So during the whole course of the talk, so I'm talking about heaven, hell and purgatory, mostly purgatory. Um, she kept asking questions about the devil. And it's like, okay, that's not really the topic, but okay, I'll, I'll answer. After the, oh, the program was over, most of the people left. She comes up to me and she says, hey, <laughs> she goes, I think my son's possessed. I said, well, you know, I think my sisters are possessed too, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are. And I said, well, what leads you to think that that's true? Well, before I even had a chance to kind of finish the conversation with her, her son went into what, if, if, if an EMT were to see them, it would look like an epileptic fit. The body started convulsing. He was thrown to the floor. So, you know, right away you think, okay, well, maybe it's epilepsy. Maybe the kid doesn't have his meds. There might be something going on there. A few seconds later, there are sounds, languages that are foreign that are coming out of him, shrieking that would make your urine turn to ice. And I'm standing there at the podium thinking like, okay, really? I have to be back in St. Louis. I have to be at the airport in an hour. You know, I don't have time to do this, God. So like, give me some indication of what I'm supposed to do next because everybody's looking to the priest. Well, you're supposed to know what to do if someone's manifesting. Well, some of the, some of the people who were there started praying around him and I just decided the posture that I took was, okay, I'm not afraid, even though I was fearful. I'm not afraid. I'm just going to pray. So I started praying. I said, God, listen, I got 60 minutes to get to the airport. If, if I'm doing something here, you got to let me know what it is. Yeah. I'll do it. You give me the instructions. I'll be glad to do it. And I heard interiorly, the Lord said, just stay where you're at and pray. And he said, I'll tell you what to say. So I started saying prayers interiorly, not a word being spoken out loud. The more that I prayed the words, most of them were coming from Scripture, the more this kid screamed like I was dumping acid on him. I am at least 20 feet away from him. I'm still at the podium. He's on the floor. People are looking at me like it's getting worse. It's like, no, really, it's getting better (laughs) because God's putting out his antidote here. Um, If you're familiar with speaking in tongues, I started speaking in tongues quietly. The more I spoke in tongues, the more he was screaming like acid was being poured on him. So finally I heard God tell me, tell him to shut up and stop. So I did that in the spirit. I said, demon spirits, because there's always more than just one. I said, shut up and stop. As soon as I said that, the kid, like, he relaxed. Everybody's looking at me like, oh, well, you're a lot of help. You're standing over there. You didn't do anything. We're standing over here, we're praying all these prayers, and I knew in my spirit that God had already told me, this is what you need to do, this is how you handle the situation, and that wasn't, that wasn't the first time something like that had happened, so it wasn't like my first rodeo. But the number of demons that were manifesting in him were multiple demons, and you can usually tell that, at least for myself, is by the number of languages that are being spoken. The, the young man probably only weighed maybe 95 100 pounds, he was throwing people off of him like he was a massive weightlifter. So there was this extraordinary manifestation of power, uh, the manifestation of languages being spoken. Um, Why are there so many languages? You know, I think it's because, so the demons have been around longer than we have. They've experienced cultures that go way back, even cultures that we're not even familiar with. And so they encode all that information. They have a language that they have access to that we don't necessarily have access to. And so some of it is just that they are, 
Yeah, they're, they're repeating what they've heard over the ages. And some of it's probably, you know, cursing God. Most of it is probably cursing the eternal and that which is, is positive and good. Doesn't happen a lot because once the demons manifest, literally, it changes people's lives. Then you understand there's definitely good, there's definitely evil, there's definitely positive intentionality, there's definitely negative intentionality, there's definitely a good free will that goes in the direction of light, and there's a free will that goes in the direction of darkness. There's, there's no middle ground when the demons manifest. Absolutely no middle ground. It's like if you see your enemy, he's shooting at you, you know his position, you want to take him out. And it's just, that's what the exorcists do. They, they're able to identify the enemy, and they're able to take them out, not by themselves, but in God's, through God's word, his word. Interesting. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Do you, like, I, I think I, I believe that you can't have one without the other, right? Like, it almost feels to me that it was designed to have polar opposites right i can't like you said earlier it's it's not necessarily it's not evil what we call evil is just is it right is. it just is it exists because one exists the other has to exist so the evil is just the absence of complete absence of good right so that's that vacuum that lucifer created with his fallen angels mm -hmm. and they entered even more deeply into it and the more that you enter into it it's sort of like a bad hangover it's better to get a worse hangover than to try to get better because you're going to feel terrible and so you just keep delving deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness. That's that, that process of, of going in that direction. So it's like a meth addict. Pretty much. All the addictions are pretty much a reflection of what happens on the dark side. But it's manifested physically in the body. Hmm. It's crazy. So do you think that accounts for everything we hear in folklore, uh, physical manifestations of evil so every culture has skinwalkers vampiric beings dark spirit all those are possession would you i don't know that they're necessarily possession i've come to understand that just as there are a manifold of level of, of let's call them species in the angelic world there is a lot more that we have yet to experience in the world that we live in i call them cousins we have good cousins and bad cousins. So you mentioned species. Yes. Dive into that a little bit deeper. So you think that the angelic world and the demonic world has as much diversity as our world? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Quite interesting. Absolutely. So they would probably have like a social structure as well. Absolutely. Good. It's a good question. The exorcist will tell you that once Christ has established his authority in the person talking, so the person talking doesn't have the authority, it's Christ speaking through him. Once that is, is, is uh, established, the Christ authority in that person, the demons are obliged to be obedient to God's law even though they're fallen angels. They know that, that when God speaks his law, that they still have to obey that law even though they hate God with all their heart and mind and soul. Okay. So here's a question then. If God did not choose this path, what keeps God from just eliminating it? Yeah. Why keep it around? That's a good question. Uh, mostly 
Because God's a crazy lover and he gives every being and species free will. And so when you choose to be in the darkness, then you're just allowed to be in the darkness. That's right. Then how do you think he deals with the consequential of what we endure as a result of that? You mean so the fallout that we experience of evil, whether we've chosen it or not? Correct. Yeah. Being born into that structure and then having to make those choices, you know, we're directly impacted by the quote-unquote negative forces or demonic forces. So that's a part of our existence. It is. Even though we have free will. Yes. Why, why wouldn't that rather just be eliminated? Um, because of free will, God wouldn't even impose that on the fallen entities. But in, re- in, in response to what you ask, how does, how does God deal with the fact that we experience that evil to the depths that we're exposed to as kids or as adults or whatever, I personally believe that he weeps. His heart is broken. Well, is it free will if you would only have one choice? What do you mean? Like if you can, if you can only choose the light, is it free will? If there's only the light, is it free? Right? I don't know. That's what, like, that's what I was trying to say. Like, I feel you can only, you can't have one without the other. You have to have a choice. There, it's, it's the original choice. Well, it's the first sin, right? They had free will and yeah. were tempted. So you have original sin. You also have original innocence. That's what you're talking about. And you well, have to choose between, between the two. Well, yeah, I just like, but in just the grand scheme of if I have no other option but to drink a Coca-Cola that's not a choice, right? Right. So you make a that second version, whether it's negative or just the polar opposite or just the void of what that uh, the other thing is. Mm-hmm. You still have to have it to have a choice. That's right. Well, that's yeah. an argument that I've made plenty of times. Is it's you know when we come back to the idea of life itself, right? Everybody says, "Well, be grateful for life," and you think, "Well, I didn't choose life." And I didn't choose the structure that I was born into. I had no choice in this. I wouldn't have created this. This would not have been my version, right? I would not have done it this way. So my existence at its origin was without free will. I had no choice in this. And then I had no choice in what I was allowed to exist in for however long I'm allowed to exist in it. So... If you choose not to like how it was created in this thing that you were, you know, uh, I call it an unfortunate misgiving, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It's like, oh, hey, you should be grateful for this. But it's like, wait, well, what if I just don't like it? What? If, and this is what you threw me in. What if I just choose to say, hey, I don't like this. Does that necessarily mean that I'm choosing darkness? Or if I'm no. just deciding no. not to choose whatever created this? Yes. So the original pattern that you were born into, let's just say it's your family, you know, mom, dad, background, whatever it is. Some good moms, some bad moms, some good dads, some bad dads. You don't really have it. Well, I used to think you didn't have a choice. I don't know that I necessarily fully believe that anymore. Well, well I, th- I think there is, there is, there is some. Well, I want to clarify something. I'm not talking about being born into something. Yes. I'm talking about the idea of being born at all. Yes. Okay didn't choose consciousness. I didn't choose the physical reality that is around me, regardless of your parental structures, whatever. Mm -hmm. I didn't choose to be flesh, okay? How do you know that? Um, 
How do you know you didn't choose it? That would be a great question, but at some point, there would have been an origin of existence. Mm -hmm. Okay? I didn't choose that either. So, the idea of rejecting any of it, 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 once I was initiated, well, I was initiated in whatever this is, however you define it, didn't choose it. Something initiated it. And if I choose not to like what was initiated... Why is that my fault? But that's saying that you didn't exist. Your energetic or spiritual side didn't exist before your physical side. No, I'm not. I'm saying that that spiritual side didn't exist until God said, poof. Okay? So no matter what, no matter what, the second that you were brought into initiation from your spiritual whatever, you did not choose that. You were poofed into whatever that is. And if you said, wait a second, I don't like this at all. I, why would it be, why is it this way? And then I just say, look, dude, thanks, but no thanks. I didn't ask for this. And maybe that's, maybe I'm just going to say, no, I'm out. I don't, not into what you're playing. Okay. Why does that make me evil? Why does that make me bad? It doesn't make you evil or bad. Not at all. But that is not choosing the light. That is not choosing that person. So the the original coming into existence, if if you're looking at it philosophically, that original coming into existence is something that I believe originated out of the fullness and the perfection of what we would call love, the perfection of virtue. So we, we were begotten of love. We, we either choose to live in love or not live in love, and we go back to that eternal love. But love was created. I didn't choose love. Love was never created. Love always was. Always is, always will be. It's what a lot of people call God. And then there was just no initiation for God. No initiation for God. But I, 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 don't, I don't know. The older I get, the more I think that there is there – is, some consent of a person's soul before they incarnate into flesh. There's, there's some kind of consent there because it, it's just what, a, you know, for lack of a better term, it's just what a loving father would do. Like that cartoon. Yeah. There's the one with the souls before they go down. To, I don't know the one. My daughter, I had her on for her the other day, but I don't know why. That's what's in my head. You have a bunch of little souls in the little soul land and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do and eventually when they're ready they're basically halo jumping into earth or whatever like (laughs) they decided okay now it's time but i think anthony's speaking before that right just his energetical creation like well if, if what father mark is saying is true then God is stuck in the same boat that we are mm-hmm. because he didn't choose his exists either. He's just dealing with whatever he was dealt. Is it possible? Right. So the, the, the argument would be that, you know, if that is the case, if he always had been and that was where it's at, then he's just as stuck as we are. Well, he made you in his image. Is it possible that this is where I, cause I see what you're saying, but it becomes a, cyclical problem in a way but there's some 
there's some verse in the Bible, and it's something to the effect of my my ways are not what your ways. Mm-hmm. My ways are higher than than your ways are. Like, don't lean on your own understanding because you can't fathom it. Basically, mm-hmm. and with what you're saying, maybe that's all you can. Like, you're wrapping it with your comprehension right now. But if he just always was, there might not be that because it's a different, higher level of comprehension potentially than we is with our current minds and, and so, intellect can wrap our head around. Okay, so assuming that what you're saying is true, then I've been handicapped with the inability to have access to the information that I would need to be able to make that choice. Mm-hmm. And somehow that's my fault? No, I think it's... It, and that's if, – if you have to talk about church, if you have to talk about community, that, that's where church comes in because we have to help each other learn those things because we each have a piece of the puzzle. So like my coming here last time, I learned so much from you guys. I was talking about it for like I don't know how many weeks because you had such a, a deep perception of things. Your experiences are so real that it broadened my experience and it also broadened my ability to ask even deeper questions to want to come back and do it again. So there's something in that knowing when you come together like this that's what I would call sacred. It's good. It's holy. It's why God made us. We help each other find our way back. That fellowship. Yep. Well, and what about the potentiality, too, of we are a creation like we are and i don't know on some like the pre the little souls in heaven and now the cartoon thing that i'm talking about if you popped up up there we don't know there may have been that option there may be a bunch that are still hanging out there to like god was like all right you're here do you want to hang out here go down and do that and they're Maybe there are some that were like, "Yeah, we think we'll stay here." I don't. I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. That's how yeah. I kind of wrap my head around things. Is I just know there's so much I don't know. So me. in that, there might be the possibility that God allows us to incarnate so that we can continue to learn specifically things that we need to learn. So, what are your thoughts on reincarnation? <laughs> That's a good question. So the typical response would be doesn't exist because it's right. <clears throat> it depends on how you define incarnation. Um, I know it doesn't line up with canon, but there's also a lot that's been left out. Yeah, that's right. Those are the, all the missing books we were talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of the illumination that's coming is going to help us understand that. Well, that's kind of what is the illumination that's coming. So we talked a little bit about that. It's an event that's going to happen, I believe, personally. You don't have to accept that. In, in our day where there's going to be from the eternal love, the eternal virtue, God, however you want to call it, uh, uh, an awakening so that we can see things more clearly as they are and then understand our purpose more clearly, why certain things happened the way they did, why certain things unfolded the way that they did, that there was that it wasn't out of chaos, but it actually was out of of God's divine purpose and plan. The age of Aquarius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can remember as a little kid, I was maybe only two or three years old. I didn't know anything about you know, my faith because I wasn't really old enough. 
But I already knew at two or three that as an adult, my whole life was going to be spent helping other people and ministering to them. And I kept seeing as a little kid bridges that I would live at a time where we would go from one age to the next, and I would help build that bridge. Now, looking back on that, that was very prophetic because that's how I've spent most of my life. Even though I didn't understand at the time, being two or three years old, that that was going to happen. So that's why I think what you were saying, Sam, is like probably the case is that there is some understanding before we incarnate that there's a purpose and a plan and a design, and it's not chaotic. It's it's based out of goodness. So what are your take on people who pursue light but don't choose Christ? Um, what happens to those people? They go right back to the Father's heart. Uh, the God would not reject them just because they didn't know. I mean, in an instant, like at the moment of death, like I was talking about those kids who, you, who I perceived running across the road. In that moment, God could have given them a full lifetime of experience to know good and evil and to make a choice to, to come back home. I believe that God gives every single created human being, no matter how evil they are perceived or how good they're perceived, to have the chance to return back home. Like the murderer on the cross next to Christ. Good thief. Yep. Yeah, that's the right. thief. Yeah, that's, that's right. What I meant. So take a person like myself who doesn't believe in the structure of Christianity, right? So may, even if I believe there's a God, I, I just don't necessarily believe in the angelic or demonic existence in my own personal belief set. But I really do pursue light because I want to be the best person, the best human that I can possibly be, regardless of whether or not I, I chose this or I like the structure or I would have done it differently. I'm going to play the game the very best that I can and try to be the best human that I can be and, and put out the most positivity and leave the best imprint that I can on the world and, and hopefully and better and change the world in doing so. And that is my intent of my life. And sometimes mm -hmm. I fail at that and sometimes I don't do as good as I should. And, and that's everybody. But you know, if I die in this instant, but I have made the choice that if that God exists, I don't choose you. What happens? I think God's arms will be open to you and you'll have to make the choice whether you want to enter in or not. And then I'll be given that final decision. Mm -hmm. And you're going to say yes, because you wouldn't have that understanding and knowing of goodness that that was placed in your heart by God in the first place. The truth is written in your heart. That's right. Interesting. Well, that may be the most detailed explanation of spiritual teachings and physical reality that I may have ever heard. Yeah, I've, I told uh, a friend after the last time we uh, were out at the church, um, I've had questions my whole life related to what you said and not that specifically but the answer like because i i brought up like buddhists living in monasteries in the middle of nowhere and and even asking pastors i never got a satisfactory for me enough answer and they kind of were stumped a little bit but after that answer uh or that explanation the way you explained it, it made me satisfied 
Yeah, if enough if, if somebody if somebody would not have told me that you were a Catholic priest, I would have thought that you were an apologist. Because you sound more like apologetics than you do Catholicism. I mean, do you consider yourself an apologist? Well, actually, the early church fathers were all apologetics. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The early church fathers, that was the foundation. That's how they evangelized. Interesting. Apologetics. So you believe that they had the understanding of the physical and spiritual connection mm-hmm. in the same way? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, that's at least, you know, the one thing that I admire about you is all that I've ever complained about typically is people that believe things and then don't know why. Mm-hmm. And at least you have thoroughly researched why you believe what you believe. And, and you've done an exposure on that that I think is very recommendable. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for you, sir. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, this, this feeling's mutual. I wouldn't be here if I didn't didn't believe the same thing about you guys. Oh, thank you, thank you like, for that. That like makes us brother. feel kind of good. You're like yeah. my brothers. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you would like to talk about? Any other topic that you'd like to bring up? Gosh, I don't know. That, that, was, that was pretty heavy. <laughs> that <laughs> I mean, was right. pretty heavy. It's a, it's a theme. We, we do that every time. <laughs> every time. Man, it well, can start really light, and then that's I, just where it goes. I think now is probably a good time to go ahead and wrap it up. This was an amazing episode. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I learned a lot. And uh, you answered a lot of questions. And again, we were really grateful to have you. Thank you. Yeah, so when you're doing a podcast down in Florida, right? Yeah, you're going to have a podcast yourself. You want to plug yes. that? Um, I, I don't know what it's going to be yet. It's in process, but maybe we could get connected up and uh, work together. To Absolutely. Absolutely. We will yeah. definitely come on your podcast, sir. And we'll definitely. make sure to put that out to the viewers, guys. So if you're listening, uh, we'll put that out when he uh, his episodes go up and you'll find that link out there. Um, so... If you are still following us, make sure that you go ahead and click subscribe and hit that follow button so that you know when you get future notifications. We will drop episodes every week by midnight on Saturday. So for those, make sure you listen up. Now I want to give a big thank you to our sponsors. A thank you to Anthony Ferguson over at Malevolent Arts Studio in Barnhart, Missouri. If you are looking for a tattoo, go over there and see Anthony and his artist. They are a fantastic crew. Uh, he has some of the best line work and saturation that I have ever seen. He's a fantastic individual to deal with. With. Go ahead and look in the description. You'll find a link over to him. Mention the Stoned Apes and you get 20% off of any booked service. Another big thank you to Elliot Growth. Elliot Growth owns eGrowth Productions. He does our audio and video work. You can see examples of his work on Instagram. Uh, you can also see it over there at 10th Planet Crystal City. Go ahead and check that out and you guys will uh, really enjoy seeing it. He does SEO and a bunch of other things for us and he does a fantastic job. Elliot also owns Gateway Tattoo Studio over in Arnold, Missouri. He is an appointment-only artist over there, so he specializes in black, gray, and realism work. If you are looking uh, for a new tattoo and you would like to get a custom piece that's designed just for you, go ahead and reach out to Elliot. In the description, you will find a link to that. Mention the Stoned Apes, and you'll get $50 off any half-day booked appointment. All right. Thank you guys for following us on this. We will have more things coming for you in the future. And thank you again, Father Mark. You're welcome. For this episode, the Stoned Apes are out.